All right, I'm going to go in the intro now. All right, hit it. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 15 of Hip Squared, American Fantastics Pop Culture Podcast, celebrating everything from the mainstream to the independent, weird, old, and local. Troy, how's it going? Dude, I am so relaxed. I just got back from the beach like a week ago. That's cool. Jealous you, uh, much. In Margaritaville? Um, wasting away? We were in Margaritaville. We were in Bourbonville. We were in Beerville. We were in Trulyville, as well as White Clawville. Okay. So <laughs> I don't understand all of those. Are they all drink names? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so Truly and White Claw are like the new, uh, what's the best way to describe it? White girl drinks. Oh, like um, basic. They're super basic. <laughs> it's spiked seltzer water. Okay. Essentially. So is it like basically alcoholic LaCroix? Yes. That sounds like an evil genius. Like, yes. We'll get to all the millennials. <laughs> look, all I'm saying is that it's a great way to avoid a hangover because you're just drinking Because it's all water. water. <laughs> okay. I can see that. So what it, is it like malt beverage alcohol or like how does the... Uh, it's it's uh, sugar cane. But so like, it's fermented so, sugar cane in, uh, a, in a like, um, in a carbonated Does it taste water. good? It, 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 it's like... Yeah, it's got a hint of whatever the flavoring is. So they've got like mm-hmm. lime, grapefruit, grapefruit. Um, so maybe it'd be good with like grenadine or something mm, mixed in. Oh, dude, everything's good with grenadine mixed in. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I was on the beach a week ago, and on the beach I was reading and reading a ton because that's what you should do when you're on the beach. Yeah. Um, so before I left, I had asked our other brother, "What book should I read?" I'm looking for a light sci-fi a book. A literal beach read. Yes, a literal beach read, and because uh, I already had two, and I was figuring I was gonna like get burned through those really fast so like what is the literal beach reaction go with and he's like dude i just finished foundations the book by isaac asimov oh, it's sci-fi and i was Isn't like that, an that sounds great trilogy? it is um foundations is the first book um but it is a tr- a whole trilogy the martian um, trilogy is that what it's called no, it's called the, uh, I have it up here. Is it just called the Foundations I think it's just trilogy? called the Foundations Trilogy. Okay. And the first one's Foundation, second one is Foundation and Empire, and, Empire. and the third one is the uh, second Foundation. Um, so the whole premise of the book, and I will, I'll start with like your kind of intro. So it was written by Isaac Asimov, the same guy that wrote... Um, iRobot. iRobot. Yeah, um, and he, he's, he's pretty much known as like one of the, early big sci-fi writers and there's a lot of different things probably the first one that was um well i guess jules verne you could argue but to be like a huge best-selling like paperback phenomenon Mm -hmm. but like all of his right his writing was incredibly influential uh going forward he laid a lot of the groundwork for other he's kind of almost like the tolkien of sci-fi like he laid the groundwork for all these science fiction conventions that people now just kind of take for granted mm-hmm. like interstellar travel or and just like robots faster than light speed like humanoid yeah. robots and things mm-hmm. like that so um so foundations essentially it starts like this there's a galactic empire that has been rolling the galaxies for twelve thousand years um and a science has been developing with galactic empire and a certain group of uh, scientists are called psychohistorians these guys using data and the information around them are able to essentially predict the future okay um so at the beginning of the book the this character by the name of harry selden tells uh, announces to the empire and everyone else that 
the galactic empire that has lasted for twelve thousand years is going to be dead within the next three uh, within the next three centuries. Okay. Um, which sparks this whole like, what do you mean you can't like that's blasphemy? And he um, says that's what's going to happen, and I'm pulling together these scientists to um, make it so it's not so that we're not in this horrible world, uh, this horrible universe for a thousand or for. 30,000 years like we would be. We're only in it for a thousand. Um, and we're going to do that by writing a book, writing a book that includes all of science's technology. Okay. And it's going to be called the encyclopedia. So they're kind of like creating an arc for their civilization. Uh, yes. But think of it more like an arc for all of known history. Okay. Um, and he says, it's going to take me, uh, I think it was a thousand years to write it. Uh, and it was, or, and it was going to be like it was going to take them fifty years just to get everything logged that they already have, and then it was going to take the next um, few hundred years to keep uh, keep updating it. The empire's like, we ain't about this. You got way too many people mm-hmm. all going towards this one goal, um, and his him and his group get exiled out to like the edges of the uh, of the known galaxies. Um, at this point, like the the book takes a um, interesting turn. So it's like a weird um, prophetic thing to like people doubting scientists when they're warning them of impending disaster. Huh. It sounds like uncomfortably familiar, <laughs> doesn't it? Though, <laughs> um, and his his is interesting because his uh, the disaster is coming from like the main world that is the center of this galaxy. Think Rome in the ancient Roman Empire. Yeah, that's kind of what it reminded me of when you were talking. Or, like, even nowadays, the American Empire. Yeah. Like that. If you, and, like, when I was reading this, a lot of this gave me, like, because I had listened to a podcast called The History of Rome that went through, like, almost all of the uh, Roman Empire and Republic. And I was getting a lot of strong vibes from this. I suspect he got a lot of his inspiration from Roman history. Well, I think, too, um, he wrote this in, like, the early to mid-20th century, like, uh, in the 50s. 1951. So that's kind of like after World War One and World War Two, where all these mm-hmm. old empires are crumbling to, like the British Empire and right. And the thing is, so it makes sense there, but like with how solid he defines the Galactic Empire to the point that like it had no competition. Yeah. Um, anything outside the Galactic Empire was on the edges of space. Very much reminds me of the Roman, like the Roman mentality of we're here. Everybody else is far enough away. We don't need to worry about it. Um, and his whole point was with this galactic empire, there's this one central planet that has essentially been um, built up so much that there's no more living. Like the crust of the planet can't be seen from space because it's all covered in metal from all of these buildings. And the resources just to supply that planet are draining everywhere else. Yeah. It and, sounds almost like Coruscant from Star Wars, like the Empire. Because Coruscant's kind of like that too, where it's like in, it's this idea that's built like a city that's entirely built up into one huge city, mm-hmm. and yes. this, that is an entire planet and central. Like, so I'm just kind of seeing how, like, when you're talking about how influential it was, it's like there's so many echoes of it, and it like gets reminding me of all these other sci-fi stories where it's like that's almost like a cliche now, but mm-hmm. it sounds like when this book was written, it was this kind of a new idea, right? And like again, I wonder how much of this was taken from like. Like, oh, man, this is so so original from him. And it is in terms of the sci-fi and how much of it was 
pulling it from history that he's read or um, researched. Because, like, there were a lot of Roman vibes that I was getting from this, especially from, like, the big, the large city that you don't need to defend because it's in the center of this huge empire, so you're perfectly fine. Um, the And, like, this city just... By building up how it is, and it has all this research and science, it can't actually sustain itself, so it has to import things from outside. So, like, there's a point where he, the psychohistorians explain their calculations. It's like, well, the fact that we have to import 40,000 tons of food every day just to feed all the people here, like, what happens when you can't sustain that? What happens when Rome uh, loses Egypt, which is the breadbasket of the Roman Empire, and can't feed its people? And and that's where like I wonder how much of it how much of it comes from that. Yeah. Um, so that's just the first part of the book is the psycho the um, psycho historians and his uh, decision it, that we need to build. Is it really dense reading? A lot of people had said this is a super dense book. It's going to be hard to read. It is not that bad, which I thought was really interesting because I was going into it. Maybe if you're going into it with that mentality that, like, this is going to be a really hard read, like, be prepared to, like, get slogged down. It's not that bad. It's not, it's not, like, light and fluffy, like, things like um, The Martian. Mm -hmm. um, Like Grave Bradbury, even. Yeah, just any kind of, like, like, it's not light reading. I wouldn't call, I've had much heavier reading. Like, Lord of the Rings is a much heavier read Mm -hmm. than this. Okay. Um... So now that the um, psychohistorians, and they're now called the encyclopedists, have been sent off to the edge of space, what happens? And it's, it's interesting because it goes through um, a few different crises, and they're always called the Selden Crises, which is essentially, um, there's a point in this history, again, since uh, Harry Selden had been able to predict all of this all of these things in the future, he predicts, well, this is what's going to happen around this time period. And that's when, and like using his psychohistorian powers, and it's almost, it's almost looked upon as like this, this force that is, they is have. It good, is it kind of like he's in a trance or like, is it more just like he's making all these calculations and like his mind is a computer kind of thing? Like yeah, how do well, they his, present this? Is it like a magic mystical thing or is it more like technology driven? Like how do they present that? It's so, it's interesting. It's technology um that he has developed and it's later portrayed as mystical so it's the technology like he was able to use his science and his calculations to predict this but it's later portrayed as this is a mystical power that he somehow had and that's a big part of this story is that you go from um this race that or this group that has technology like nuclear power was is the big one um to they're at the edge of the empire and the Empire says they'll support them until eventually they realize they've been cut off. Like, the Empire's too busy with its own struggles in the center. They've been cut off. And all of these encyclopedias are going, what do we do now? And that's where um, a character by the name of Salvor Hardin, who is, the, uh, who is the mayor of this town but doesn't really have any power because the encyclopedias board, essentially all these scientists have the power in this town, He's the one that goes, it's like, we're cut off. We need to figure out a way to save ourselves. And that's the first crisis is how do we save ourselves from all this future? So it follows the people. <laughs> it sounds like so there's good. a waterfall upstairs. Yeah. I don't know if the mics picked that up. That's pretty funny. I'm sure they did. <laughs> uh, so 
does the narrative follow these encyclopedias? Or does it kind of go back and forth between the the, the, the empire, empire and the... It completely follows the encyclopedias. They've been cut off and you're with them and how they as a planet deal with all of the issues going forward. Um, they come upon multiple crises, but the big part of the book is changing is how does this group change with each crisis it comes upon? So at the beginning, it's all about science, it's all about research, and it's all about developing that, okay, well, now what happens that, like, like we need to change this culture, so what happens next? And they realize, okay, well, if we trade this science, if we teach other people this science, now they have this knowledge, but so do we. So now, like, it's all about trading this technology, and since there's four, there's four kingdoms around this one planet, it's giving each of them just enough so that the other three don't kill this planet. So it's like a balance of power. Mm-hmm. Concentration. And it's this it's this planet trying to balance all all of these kingdoms around them. Do so the that, other kingdoms aware of what's happening that they're being kind of like pulled? Yes. Okay. Yes. So um. So none of it, and then I don't know if I'm like spoiling things or mm-hmm. guessing like yeah. I'm, terrible I'm guesses, also trying to figure out where like how deep I'm I go. I'm just trying to like kind of like. Yeah, I guess I'm just, like, connecting dots or, like, guessing what's going to happen next. But it almost sounds like at one point one of these factions would try to kill the encyclopedias or, like... But I guess that might be part of, like... So that's, like, that ends up being one of the first crises. Okay. Like, this one really strong kingdom says, like, well, you guys have all this technology. I can just come in and take it because they're, barbar- quote-unquote, barbarians. They think we can just come in and take it. To which they go... Um, they go to the other three kingdoms like, hey, they're gonna t- they're going to take us out and we have this technology. And they, once they have our technology, we'll be able to destroy all of you. We need your protection. Okay. So then now it's a balance. And it's a and balance. Does this all take place within the same generation or like the same group of it's not like over eons, it's like So the story itself takes place um on five different points. Um you have Psychos Historians, which is the lead up I was talking about for a while, the encyclopedists. Then you have the mayors, the traders, and the merchant princes. Um, and each of those takes a break. Um, so the, uh, and they're all based on this time period that uh, they, got, they call FE, which is the fall of the empire. Mm. So Psycho Historians is zero FE. So it's at the beginning of the fall. And then 50 years after that, um, and then 80 years after the fall of the empire, 135 years after the fall, and then 155. So it's, it's a few generations. So you follow this one character, uh, Salvor uh, Hardin, as I mentioned earlier. You follow him in the 50 year and the 80 year. So in the 50 year, he's this like young brass mayor that's just been elected. Um, like so very... he would be like the second generation of this breakoff civilization. Right. And he's like this, he's this um, smart guy that um, essentially like knows what power is and how, how to balance all these things out. So he's, but he's really young and he needs to get... Uh, he needs to get like understanding from people, and then you go to the eighty year, and now he's this like almost all like all powerful, all knowing guy because he's been in control for so long. He kind of rules as an empire of this uh, of this small group. So um, we're cutting close on time, and I actually haven't spoiled that much, which I really like because that's <laughs> one of the big parts of this book yeah. is um, how do they resolve each of these crises? And it's it each time they resolve a crisis, it comes with a cultural change. Um, and it, and the crises are always an internal crisis. So a crisis internal to the planet as well as an external crisis. So other and elements outside of their planet, uh, acting on them. 
And the re- the revol- the resolution of those crises is interesting. Uh, the book does do something really funny. Um, and I don't know if it's tropey. I don't know what you want to call it. But it has a very, like, I knew this all along uh, mentality where you'll get to the end of the crisis. And it's like, oh, the, the guy that's in charge has known what to do all along. Oh, right. And has, has had the solution. And everything he's been doing has worked up to this. Uh, so it's like people manipulating things behind the scenes. And then it's like, right. this whole time I've been orchestrating... This like outcome that, you know, okay. Yeah, like, you've been thinking that we need to do this, but actually we need to do this because of this and this and this and this. And ha-ha, here it all is. <laughs> and it's it's really cute. Uh, it's yeah. really fun as well. And you do have some, like, oh, moments yeah. as you, as, like, they figure out, oh, oh that's how they're going to, that's how they're going to get out of this situation. That's cool. Pretty foul. Oh, no. Uh, just wah, a metal wah, water bottle. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> all right. Well, um, that sounds like some very out-of-this-world science fiction. Um, well, m- moving forward with the science fiction theme, we're going to go into uh, the late 1980s uh, and talk about a series called Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Oh, God. <laughs> and this is a Canadian-American <laughs> sci-fi action TV series. Um, and it's kind of like this mishmash of all these 70s, 80s, and, like, even 1990s sci-fi ideas, like, I guess, building up to them. Um, And it kind of mashes them all together into this, like, um, just kind of, like, schlocky sci-fi TV series. Um, And it's it's neat how it sort of presents itself because it's almost like a live-action cartoon in a way, like a live-action Saturday morning cartoon. Um, and if you can imagine, um, if you, if you put Star Wars, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, The Matrix, and a little bit of the Transformers, like, into a blender, and, like, (laughs) blended that all up, and then poured it into, like, a, it's kind of, like, halfway between a BBC production, and then maybe, like, a Star Wars kind of movie production. And it takes all the best parts of those things, right? Well, <laughs> it's kind of like, it's got some interesting ideas in it. It's just sort of the backdrop of how it's presented. It's not like taking itself seriously at all. Like it's not trying to be this like high-minded philosophical um, series like Star Trek or like have any like mystical ideas like Star Wars is. But it is kind of like this blend of um, action sci-fi, um, post-apocalyptic, futuristic kind of vibe to it. But it's also just, like, taking all of these influences and then, like, combining them together and then, like, creating this sort of amalgam. <laughs> so, and and I love it because it has such an over-the-top title. <laughs> like, that sounds to me almost like a 1930s, like, radio sci-fi serial or, like, a comic book. I mean, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. That also sounds kind of like a toy line or something. And it actually, sounds it like it was built line. to be a toy line. Yeah. Um, so, so basically, the premise is is that this is an after a war called the Metal War, where all the machines kind of took over, and it's almost yeah like a Terminator kind okay. of like because this came out after the Terminator, so I guess you could throw the Terminator in there too in terms of yeah like, in terms of like the list. So it's like a version of that 
post-apocalyptic world where machines have taken over. And then all of the, there's like this group of human survivors that are called the soldiers of the future. And it's funny because like Captain Power is literally named John Power. <laughs> and so he's like the leader. And what they do is like, they're like kind of like a squad of people that always kind of um, act together. And they're sort of like this, almost like this resistance group, like this very small resistance group. Mm-hmm. And they all have certain specialties. Like there's a spy, scout kind of person. There's like your heavy, like gunner kind there's of character. There's a sniper. Yeah. And there's like, a guy with katanas. Well, there's not, it's not those kinds of uh, <laughs> necessarily ones, but it is like, yeah, like each person has like their own little like niche role. Right. There's like the leader, of course, that's Captain Power. There's mm-hmm. also a, um, a, pilot who's a woman the mm-hmm. like the woman character is a pilot of like their shuttlecraft and um the reason i said it reminds me of power rangers in a way is because when they get when they go onto the surface of a planet or like they're actually engaging in combat they have these um they're like suits that they can activate whenever they what? want to so they're usually just like regular people in like army military kind of fatigues mm-hmm. but they have this little button where if they press it it kind of looks like a Power Rangers like armor, <laughs> it's like halfway between Power Rangers and like Star Wars kind of like okay. Stormtrooper armor. Okay. So it's like imagine like a lot of like shiny plastic, colorful, colorful like eighties sci-fi like costumes. Nice. And um, so those are the good guys, and they just basically like each episode they go on a mission, and they're also kind of like there's that kind of like like action movies slash tv show banter of like they're always like ribbing each other and then like of course the the lead character captain power is like a total hunk (laughs) and he's kind of oblivious to the pilot has a big crush on him and she's like very attractive too Mm -hmm. and then there's like the gruff older like more experienced people and so it's got all these like tropes and cliches in it but it doesn't really try to hide them either like it kind of embraces them okay i think and i think also like it might have been self-aware it sounds like, okay, with the name, it sounds like it would be self-aware. Yeah. And when you have a name like that, you kind of have to lean into your tropes. Exactly. And so it's almost like a self-parody or like a satire in its own way. And the fact that like it's so over the top and all these sci-fi cliches, but it actually like embraces them so much that it's got enough charm. Part of me makes me, th- part of this makes me think it's like, this is where all of the uh, Saturday morning sci-fi goes to like ideas go yeah. to die. Well, what I can <laughs> imagine is that it would have been like something that would have aired at like 1130 or like midnight, like on cable, like very oh. early cable. And so like, this is like, if you were like a bachelor or you were just like, you know, drinking some beers or like smoking a joint and then like this would come on and it would be like what you would like kind of watch and zone out to it's the equivalent of like the red green show for <laughs> for uh kids and uh people in the yeah. 80s like, like i imagine that. it would have been like teenagers and college kids and maybe yeah. even like young kids and then like also like people that were just into sci-fi like sci-fi <laughs> or like if you liked star trek and star wars this was kind of like trying to scratch the same itch in a way it is i am trying so hard to imagine this as live action well, because everything yeah. makes me think this would be well, like perfect for cartoons well, the, and there is some cartoon elements, like heavy ones. Like, um, for example, there's a lot of really early CGI. Oh, God. Okay. Is, so, like, a lot of people think the first CGI was uh, in Terminator 2 with the T-1000. Okay, but I think that was good. Yeah, that was, like, the first really good CGI. And in this, for its time, actually, is, like, it doesn't look 
too bad for how it's like for late eighties CGI, mm-hmm. but um, so like for the Transformers in, uh, influence. Well, let me go. I talked about the good guys a lot. I need to talk about the villains a little bit too. Yeah, give them, so, give them some airtime. There is this. Um, I think they. Lord Dread is the name of I know is the name of the main villain, and he looks like a cross between um, Darth Vader without his helmet on. Okay, and then like uh, Captain Picard after he gets taken over by the Borg in First Contact, like he has this weird like one of his eyes is like a robot eye. Nice, and he's like half machine and half man, and he's kind of like the Darth Vader, like he's like the evil. Incompletely, like, black and white terms, of course, too. This is There's no shades of gray in this of show. Course. It's, like, the heroic, adve- like, adventurers versus, like, the evil, wicked villains. Um, but he has, of course, like, his group of henchmen. And one of his coolest henchmen is um, this sentry called Sauron. It's funny because it's pronounced Sauron, like, from Lord of the Rings. But yes. it's, like, S-O-A-R on. And it's this, like, robotic, okay. like, pterodactyl, like, bird. <laughs> And so if you've ever seen um, the old Transformers cartoon from the 80s, there's a very, um, there was Soundwave, who was um, an evil robot that turned into a (laughs) boombox. And he also had these groups of, like, um, helpers, basically, Mm -hmm. that were, like, cassette tapes. And (laughs) And one of the cassette tapes was named Laserbeak. And, and, like, Soundwave was the only Transformer that actually talked like a robot. Mm-hmm. So when he would send Laserbeak out, he'd be like, Laserbeak, activate. <laughs> and so this tape cassette would, like, fly out of his chest because that's where he had his, like, cassette yeah. holder. And then, like, turn into this, like, robot pterodactyl. Okay. And, like, fly. And then that would be all, that would always be the robot they would spy on Optimus Prime or, like, mm-hmm. basically be their scout. Well, Sauron is, like, the exact same idea, only instead of a cartoon uh, version of that. It's like a CGI version of that in a live-action show. Okay. And in the first episode... See, I was thinking of the Yellow Power Rangers uh, Zord. But kind of, on. yeah. And, okay. like, there's a lot of that. And, like, I think there was a concurrent toy line that didn't last very long because they think the show is only two seasons. I think the the toy line actually ended before the show did because <laughs> um, it wasn't, like, in the 80s, there was a big toy boom. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, and, and, like, with when you Teenage Mutant like, Ninja Turtles. Well, yeah, there was, like, Mattel mm-hmm. had Barbie and, Teenage, and, like, Hasbro had Transformers and G.I. Joe, and then there was He-Man before that. And, yeah. Right. So they, there were all these, like, shows that were trying to be, like, the next... Well, te- well Ninja Turtles is what it turned out to be, like, the yeah. next big one, but... Um, this was like trying to like, kind of be in that same vein. And um, so there was all these, and, and then like, the first episode, I'll just break it down the plot real quick. This is the pilot where basically they're all like in, like hiding out in kind of like their shuttle in outer space. And then they receive a distressed call from San Francisco, which of course is like post-apocalyptic San Francisco. So it's mm-hmm. all been basically destroyed. And it's, it's, it's like, um, it's kind of like a hologram image of a chessboard, and it's like, Knights, bishop to queen, whatever. Okay. And it's like that opening move in chess where you take one of your knights out. Sure. And then because the main character, Captain Power, had this, like, friend before, I guess, everything went to hell who was, um, that would always play chess with him. Mm-hmm. And she, like, gave him the same comment. And he's like, oh, kind of aggressive, huh? And, like, that was, like, her, that was, like, their little, like, witty banter whenever they started the game of chess. Mm-hmm. So he goes to Earth to San Francisco and they like they all go out and they're looking for her because they think well she must have sent this distress call 
Well, really, she is kind of like the bait to lure them. Oh. And then they all get attacked. And she has, they call it getting digitized. But basically what it is is like they can take your consciousness and put it into a robot oh, machine. Oh, God. That's horrifying. And so like they basically have her where they're threatening to like, if she doesn't want to be part of like a machine, she has mm-hmm. to lure Captain Power so they can like capture him. Gotcha. And so she tries to kill him first because she thinks it'll be better for both of them than he gets digitized. Mm. He basically, like, convinces her that, like, they can make her safe. Mm -hmm. And then, like, there's... And that's when Sauron finds them. Like, after this first big battle, then, like, they kind of go into hiding for a little bit. And then there's, like, a five-minute sequence where it's just them shooting, like, glowing lasers at this, like, CGI (laughs) robot bird in the sky. And it's, like, this battle is so over the top. It, like, goes on way longer than it needs to. It's like, it's just, it's just filler, but it's like entertaining enough because it's just like, and it's like Power Rangers too, of course, it's like sparks that are flying <laughs> off and every, and it's like the, like the good guys get hit too, but uh-huh. nobody ever really dies because of, of, the, of their armor. And, um, and then the ending, it kind of has like that episode at least has a happy ending. Yeah. And so, and I think each episode like with commercials taken out is only 22 minutes. Okay. Okay. And I have to explain. So the reason I discovered this like really obscure sci-fi show from the late eighties, frankly, I was impressed. There's Mm. a streaming, uh, website now called night flight TV. Okay. And I think it might've been like its own TV channel like since the eighties. And now maybe it just exists on the internet. Mm. Basically it's a lot of like cult and like 1980s era, like, you can watch, like, a special where they just show a bunch of David Bowie videos. And then, like, they, there's, like, this Canadian woman that's explaining who David Bowie is. And it'll be, like, interviews with him. And so they have a lot of shows like that. Okay. Uh, they have a lot of, like, old cult, um, like, like, sci-fi and, like, that sure, kind of like shows. Sure, like, B-movies. Yeah, B-movies. They have, like, a lot mm-hmm. of old cult, like, um, black exploitation movies. Like, oh, okay. The whole, like, bikini kind of, like, that kind of... Um, TNA genre, mm-hmm. and then they have, um, they also have some animations. So they if, have like if it was old... shitty TV, they were putting it out. Exactly, <laughs> but um, it's it's kind of like a streaming service that appeals to like cult and like old music and like I guess it's just that whatever this one channel had compiled. And so there's a free version where they like you can like at least get previews of a lot of things, and there's a lot of stuff they just let you watch the entire thing about. Mm-hmm. Or there's a uh, paid version, and because I have a, like, I don't, I got, one of my friends shared a login with me, oh, so now okay. I can go in, and I was just, like, browsing through, and I was like, huh, like, that looks kind of interesting, <laughs> and then I watched it, and I was like, sort of blown away by it, <laughs> um, but if anybody is into, like, cult, or kind of, like, old-fashioned, or even just wants to check out a cool streaming site with a lot of, like, weird, obscure things on it, it's called nightflighttv.com. And like I said, there's a free version and there's a paid version. And I don't know, like, if this one is behind the paywall. Hmm. But you can usually at least see, like, a pr- little preview. There's probably, like, a month free trial, too. Yeah, and there's probably also, like, to a certain extent, if you find stuff on there and you look around hard enough, you might be able to find, like, other versions of it online. Right. It reminds but, me of, like, the wild and wooly of the internet. Yeah, it kind of is. Like, I think it's trying to appeal to that like, kind of um, obscure, like, cult mm-hmm. classic. Because um, now there's enough, like, Netflixes and Amazon Primes that now there's, like, niche services. Like, Shudder is all horror movies. Oh, okay. And it seems like um, what Night Flight TV is doing is, like, going after the cult kind of hmm. or classic yeah, sort like of. The, yeah, the, the small ones that a bunch of people love yeah. but nobody really knows about. Exactly. So that's... Um, 
Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future if you want to check out some weird sci-fi, and then Foundation if you want to um, check out some more like groundbreaking, classic, influential classic classical sci-fi. Yeah. yeah, so you get like the both ends of the spectrum here. Uh, we did want to thank everybody so much for listening to Hip Squared. Uh, best way you can tell, uh, help us out is just tell a friend or spread the word online about us. Um, also, if you're listening, let us know. Leave a comment. Uh, when we post the episodes on Facebook, you can follow American Fantastic on Facebook to check that out. You can also just subscribe to us in Google Podcasts or um, Apple Podcasts, okay, iTunes. You can also just check out your favorite uh, podcatcher, see if we're there yet. Um, you can also check out all the audio content at AmericanFantastic.com. We have all of both seasons of Hip Squared up. We have the American Fantastic Radio Hour that I produced with Art FM. Uh, you can also just check out a lot of cool writing and art. Um, that's where I publish all my writing. I have a lot of friends, art and photography and cool things like that. Um, definitely a lot of neat artists represented there. Um, and tonight we were produced by Mayplex Monk. <laughs> so thanks, Maple, so much for uh, making sure people can actually hear the words that we're saying. And um Wanted to thank danosongs.com for our intro and outro music. If anybody likes some royalty-free music for your project, check out danosongs.com. Uh, you can also become a member of American Fantastic on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, like the sign says, anything helps. <laughs> that was cool. I guess that's the sound of money going into a piggy bank in Patreon. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that, and then just, yeah, uh, especially just let us know if you're listening and, and tell people about us um, and kick in however you'd like to or just, um, just keep listening because it's neat to know that um, our words and ideas are getting out there into the universe. Yeah. Or if you're part of some galactic empire thousands of years into the future, well, just listen to the people that are giving you good advice. Yes, and also the people giving you orders. Yeah. Follow your or order. follow you, your galactic overlords. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for listening once again. Uh, Troy, is there anything I forgot? No, I think we're good. All right, we'll catch you all next time. Toodles. Toodles. <laughs>